This podcast is part of the Garnet Media Group Podcast Network. Garnet Media Group is a partnership between the student-run media outlets at the University of South Carolina. Find out more about Garnet Media Group's podcast and other student work on garnetmedia.org. everybody so i'm mac and this is sip of success so matt is out of town today um we've been missing each other like ships in the wind the last couple weeks it seems um but yeah so today we're sitting down with dr david riesman he is my lab director um at the university of south carolina we study cancer research he also does a lot of with the graduate program um he's also hilarious he has some crazy stories I, he teaches biology 302 and what's the other biology one? Biology 206. And biology 206, which I recommend that you take because they're fun. They're hard, but they're fun. Um, yeah, so let's get into it. So, hey, Dr. Reisman, how are you doing hey, today? Doing okay. You're good? Yeah. That's good. Today so far, good day. Happy to be here. Yeah, I know. I feel, yeah. I feel that one. There's a lot going on. I just had a job interview for all our listeners, you know, graduating. Big, big things, big moves going on. Um, if y'all didn't catch our last week podcast with Sloan, she did a great job about, or two, two or three weeks ago, the last one I was on, um, about salary negotiation. It was really interesting. So I recommend that you guys, you guys do that. Um, all right. So Dr. Reisman, tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay. So, um, okay. Well, I, I grew up in Chicago. I'm going to give you some, some background. Okay. Yeah, you can hear it in his yeah, voice. <laughs> right. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not from here. I grew up in Chicago. Um, went to university, University of Illinois in Champaign-Urbana, studying biology. Wow. Yeah, and then, uh, and I can tell you how I got into biology, but then uh, I also got a master's in bio, in plant virology at the University of Illinois, working with a really, really superb plant virologist, and then moved up to the University of Wisconsin also, I kind of stayed in plant biology for a little bit, and then I realized that it wasn't doing it for me, so I switched. I was in a, a program for a PhD, molecular cellular biology, and then I ended up switching into another lab, which was also working on viruses, which I can tell you about this interesting story. And that was at the McArdle Laboratory for Cancer Research. And so we were working, there was a whole group of people working on on viruses that were related to or causing cancer and we had a nobel laureate there it was very interesting time because that's when oncogenes were first discovered which are important in in cancer and we worked on a virus called epstein-barr virus which is the virus that causes uh, infectious mononucleosis which a lot of people get, you know, in college. Even, yeah, in college. <laughs> All my friends have yeah, had it. <laughs> yeah, and that's from that virus. And that virus never leaves your body, it stays in your body your entire life. And I can talk more in detail about that if you want. But then after finishing the PhD at the University of Wisconsin, and then so in our field, in order to go into academia at least, you need to do what's called a postdoctoral fellowship where you do basically more training and research because you cannot come out of a PhD program and go right to a professorship because you just don't have enough experience. Um, and so uh, I went to a very 
prestigious institute in Israel, which is called the Weizmann Institute. Uh, it's probably one of the, you know, the most successful institutes in the world. And I went there and spent five years there doing research on this protein called P53, which we, I work on to this day. Uh, and that's a, a gene that is an, also involved in cancer. It's called a tumor suppressor gene. All these things I can go into more detail if you want. And then, so spent five years there. And then in order to look for a job uh, here in the United States, I couldn't really apply from there because nobody, you know, nobody would want to fly, fly in to interview from Israel. So I ended up doing another kind of a, a stint as a staff scientist at the University of Colorado at Boulder, which is also a phenomenal place. Also, I, when I was there, uh, another person called Tom Check got the Nobel Prize while I was there, and his office was actually right next to, to mine, so I got to know him. Best friends. And yeah, bu buddies. <laughs> and he, he did something really interesting. I'll, I'll stop for a second and talk about that because it's, it's something good for people to, to know about. So you get a Nobel Prize, it's, you know, it's really, it's the most prestigious award that any scientist can get. And you get that award when you make a discovery that basically changes the way we think about the field, the way we think about life, the way we think about biology, it changes the textbooks completely. And so he got this Nobel Prize for discovering RNA molecules that have enzymatic activity, which was a breakthrough. Anyhow, when he got his Nobel Prize, you know, he was getting telegrams, time people were sending telegrams, telegrams, faxes, emails, letters, postcards from hundreds and hundreds of scientists and also Nobel laureates around the world. And what he did was he, he pinned them on the wall in the hallway. So everybody can come by and look at them. It became like a huge display of all these congratulatory messages from all kinds of people. Uh, Watson, Crick, who, who had discovered a double helix, and just so many amazing scientists. And so he tried to share it with everybody, and it was really, really good. Uh, anyhow, from from uh, Colorado, I, that's where I applied for permanent positions. I sent out, I don't know, maybe 20 applications. And then I received interviews at three, I believe, of those 20, very competitive. An interview at University of California at Riverside, interview at University of Minnesota, which we decided we didn't want to go because it's like half the, half the year is frozen solid. <laughs> Good choice. And then here, at the University of South Carolina. And when I interviewed here, you know, I met all the people in the program, faculty. It was just see, it was a very warm, inviting environment. People were really friendly. I felt really comfortable almost immediately. And actually um, ended up taking the job and moved here in 1991. So I've been here for 30 years. Wow, it's a long time. Yeah, and during that 30 years, I've been doing research mm -hmm. on, on the P53 
gene and tumor suppressor. And we've branched out into other things, like now we're working in leukemia, and Mac is involved in that in that project. Mm -hmm. Culture cells, yeah, things. Yes, growing cool. cells. And I've been teaching a lot. I've taught courses in genetics. I've taught courses in cancer biology, molecular cell biology, and now I'm teaching a course which is actually kind of interesting. It's a non-major genetics course. Uh, it's 206, it's called Genetics and Society. So we try and bring in aspects of genetics that have societal implications, which many of them do. And, and there's 135 people in the class. It's not a biology majors course. It's actually filled with nursing majors. There's 135 nursing majors in the class. And so it's, uh, I think it's a lot of fun. They learn a lot. Mm -hmm. And I also always have undergraduates. I've had graduate students in the lab doing research, and, and they've gone on to work at places like uh, Johns Hopkins and uh, St. Jude and NIH. I had one person uh, who was Brazilian. She went back to Brazil and got a position there at a university. I had one person who was from Hungary. And she went back to Hungary and has a professorship there. And then I've had a bunch of master's students and you know, they're working at like Eli Lilly and, and just some really good places. And, and in fact, one of those graduate students uh, has gotten involved in pharmaceuticals and all kinds wow. of drug discovery. And he's actually giving a seminar in our department next week. Oh, I'll have to yeah, come. That's pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, they, yeah. It's all done virtually, of course, now, but he, he doesn't have to leave wherever he is. Mm. And he'll be giving our departmental seminar next week. I thought it would be good for, for everybody to see what he's been yeah. doing. Yeah, that's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. All right. So, Dr. Reisman, what do you do in lab? Tell us about tell us about your research. Yeah, the research. So, so we're working on a gene called P53. Actually, we're not... <laughs> We're not working on a gene called P53. <laughs> We're working on some other genes that are related to, to this P53 pathway. But let me tell you, we spent a lot of time working on P53 and in some sense we still are. So P53, I'll just say, is a, a very, very important protein mm -hmm. gene that is required for cells to remain stable. The, 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 the chromosomes and the genetics to remain stable. So if there's any kind of damage to the chromosome, like let's say from x-rays or UV light or chemicals that damage DNA, like smoking, for example, is really bad. So I hope people listening to <laughs> your podcast don't smoke or at least don't smoke a lot because I'm telling you, it, is, it, is, it has some really nasty chemicals in there that damage DNA. 30% of all cancers are thought to be due to smoking. Wow, I didn't, I didn't even yeah. know that. 90% of all lung cancers are thought to be due to smoke. So everybody stop yeah. putting your jewel. Yeah. Cut it out. Well, that I don't know. Oh, about. I bet it's worse. Yeah. Oh I don't my know. Gosh, that's worse. Um, so, so in response to any kind of severe damage to the chromosomes or DNA, this gene gets turned on and it helps the cells correct that damage. Very important. It helps the cells correct damage, or if the damage is really too severe and it's very hard to 
to repair, then what will happen is it will induce the cells to die. It'll kill the cells. That's called apoptosis, but it kills the cells. And that's a uh, evolutionarily important mechanism because it, it eliminates cells that have the potential to become cancerous. And you can lose cells and that, it won't make a difference. You lose, you know, a few liver cells, you're never going to know it. If you lose a few skin cells, you're not going to know it. In fact, when you get sunburned, that the peeling that comes is actually a P53 response. Hmm. Yeah, so the sunlight damages the DNA and then the P53 gets active and kills the cells and that's where you get the, the peeling of the skin. It's actually protecting the skin from getting cancer. Yeah, I know I have colleagues who actually <clears throat> did those experiments. They use their own arms and burn <laughs> <That's funny. laughs> and sunburn their arms and check the level you, of p53 you're on the job why are you sitting outside tanning oh yeah, right. i'm doing it for my experiment right, right that's pretty funny yeah um and so that's the importance of that protein and so when you look at human cancer about 70 percent of all human cancers have a defective p53 it's not functioning properly and so the cells get damaged and then they continue to divide and eventually they become more and more unstable and end up getting cancer. So it's very important in respect with respect to cancer development. And so what we've, we've done a few things with that. We've looked at uh, what, what turns the gene on and in re response to DNA damage. So we grow cells in the culture, in culture, in the incubator, many of them are tumor cells. And we look at the expression of P53 and we look and see what kind of damage causes the rise in P53 levels. And then we also look at what, some, what it does. So, so what happens after it gets turned on? What genes does it interact with in order to carry out that response? And then we've also looked at what happens when there's a mutation. And so we do a lot of cell culture. We've cloned many parts of the gene. We've expressed the gene and we can transfer the gene into cells that don't have it. Um, we look at the protein levels and the effect that it, that it has on the cells. We're working on a new project now, which is related to P53 in a sense, because we discovered another gene that's kind of encoded within the, the P53 gene. It's strange, but it's encoded within there. It makes an RNA which does not, uh, which has activity on its own. And what we found is that this RNA, which is it's not P53, but it's it comes from the same gene. It doesn't encode any. There's no protein. It's just RNA. And we we have pretty good evidence that it blocks cells in the in this in the cell division cycle particularly cells in the blood, which are leukemic cells. So we think that some, something happens to this RNA, causes it to be expressed at high levels, and then causes these, these cells, which would normally stop dividing in the blood, to continue to divide, So, which gives rise to leukemia. It's probably not the only thing, but it's one of the things that happen. And so, so what we're doing now, and what MAC is involved in, is we are uh, growing these cells 
we are treating the cells with agents that cause the cells to stop dividing, looking at that level of RNA, and then now and to see whether or not there's a correlation between the cells growing and not growing and the level of expression. And now what we're doing is we are trying to increase even higher increase the expression of this RNA in the cell, and that should prevent it from ever stopping from dividing. Mm -hmm. Even if we treat them with drugs, it should do that. Yeah, it's pretty. So that's where we're at, and we've, we we have funding from that from from the Children's Leukemia Research Association. They they like the project, and so they funded it. Mm -hmm. And I'll be writing more grants to get more funding. It takes a lot of money to do these these kinds of experiments. Yeah, it yeah, does. yeah, yeah. So, how did you become a researcher? What what was that process? You mentioned your educational background, yeah. but um, so how did I become a researcher? So, I started out actually doing research as an undergraduate. That was at the University of Illinois. It was a completely different field. It was more evolutionary biology, but I. I kind of enjoyed the, the lab environment. That was one thing. When I went, when I started out in college, I actually was, I started out as a political science and anthropology major. Huh. Yeah, and that's, that's because in that time, that was in the mid 1970s, you know, we were just coming out of the Vietnam War and I, and I was very into politics and wanted to make, a difference in, in, you know, in, in the world. And so I started out in, in the social sciences, really. And then I remember very distinctly one day walking around and thinking to myself, is this really what I want to do? And I, when I was taking the courses, some of them, some of them seemed like we were learning things that were intuitively obvious to me. I don't mm. know. I don't know. Which can be not fun. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I didn't see where I was going to go with it. And then I thought to myself, you know, there's no way, like, let's say I wanted to go into history. I felt at that time that, well, you know, I would never become a historian, but you can read history on your own. You can, you can learn history. You know, I spent uh, a couple of years reading as many books as I could about the Civil War. So I became like, you know, I learned about the Civil War read, reading history books. So I felt, well, you know, I can do that kind of thing. But I doubt ever that I would pick up an organic chemistry book <laughs> and learn that on my own. Absolutely not. Or genetics or chemistry uh, or biology. So I thought, okay, why don't I go into that? So that's, what I, that's how I made the choice to go into biology. So I started learning some sciences. And then I met the person who I did my master's with, who was Bob Goodman, a guy named Bob Goodman. He's now at, um, he was at Cornell for a while, and now he's at the university, oh, he's at Rutgers University. And his thing, he was a plant pathologist looking at plant diseases and, and very idealistic. And he thought, well, you know, this is a very important field plant pathology because everybody needs food and we need to figure out ways how to increase the food supply around the world. And so that's why he was doing that. And I thought to myself, you know, that's actually a very important thing and that has societal implications. Mm -hmm. So I, I want to go into research mm -hmm. in that field. 
And so that kind of got me into the field of research. I did my master's there. And then, and then when I moved up to Wisconsin, so I already pretty much committed to doing research because I felt it could even, even, you know, people don't real well, we do realize now with COVID and all that, that, that research can have very significant societal implications. And we developed the vaccine and, and in a year. Uh, and of course, in medicine, you know, so we know that, that science can have really severe impacts on, on society in positive ways, also negative ways. And so I changed from plant pathology into virology, where we were studying a cancer, a virus that caused cancer. So I felt, well, this could maybe somehow have some influence on treatment. And, and that's kind of what led me into research. I never really, growing up, I never imagined myself going into, you know, to becoming a professor. I was the first one in my family to go to college. And it was very, a very uneducated family in a sense. And it wasn't until I got to the university at Illinois that I realized, wow, there's people who have read books. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm a little bit behind. There's people who've read books, people who know things. And so that's where I kind of changed my, my whole outlook and started just delving into reading and research and you know, all kinds of, you know, courses that were really helped me a lot in, in my development. But the research, you know, people who don't do research think that maybe it's kind of boring. And maybe there are some, some kinds of research that are boring. But for us, we, we do, it's not just doing research, it's actually a fun place to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. I, I agree with that. Yeah, I, love I mean, being in love. people think that it's it's dry, it's mm-hmm. sterile, but it's anything but that. And it's it becomes like a little little family almost, and a lot of communication, not only about science. And so it's it's actually very it can be very very enjoyable, and then you learn a lot as as you go on, and also. You know, you contribute to to what we know about, let's say, P fifty three. So I I don't think I've I've made we've made impact in the field. We've, we've discovered some things that are important. We haven't cured cancer, but we have contributed a little bit to the puzzle. Not any one person will ever find a cure for cancer. In fact, I'm not sure there ever there will ever be a on out cure for cancer. Mm-hmm. Cancer is very, the evolution of the cells occurs and they keep changing. And mm-hmm. So that's why people take chemotherapy and then, and then it comes back because they, they evolve in the body to survive in the presence of those drugs. Mm-hmm. So some people feel that, that we'll never really come up with an all out cure for cancer, although there are, there are treatments that are really pretty good. So, some cancers can be cured, but there's so many different kinds of cancers. A lot of people feel that the biggest improvement will come from cancer prevention. Mm-hmm. Is to do the change lifestyles so that you will avoid getting cancer. 
diets, better diets, exercise, yeah. all the things that, you know, your parents and grandparents would say, you know, you got to eat your vegetables, you got to <laughs> have your, Important. you know, your, your fruit and all that. And, yeah. and all these things are, and, and to do things that reduce the risk. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, like reducing smoking. Yeah. 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 Don't don't smoke, guys. Yeah. If you get one thing yeah. from this podcast, don't yeah. smoke. Yeah. Okay, Dr. Reisman. So what advice do you have for students who want to get into research or want to research in a biology lab? Um, I know it can be daunting for students to seek out those positions. So what do you recommend? Yeah. I think the best thing is for undergraduates, if we're talking about undergraduates, mm -hmm. is to get to know your professors or at least the ones that you feel some attraction to, get, get to know them, go to talk to them, go to their office hours, meet them. And then when you, and then to try and get into that lab or another lab to do research. But I think it, it's really important to get to know the professors. It really helps a lot. It changes the, it changes the environment completely. So, so one, try and get to know some people who are doing work that you might be interested in. It could be cancer biology, it could be marine biology, it could be oceanography, any, you know, anything that you're interested in, go and meet the people who are doing that and show them that you're interested and then, and then try and get into the lab to do an independent study. And at, at USC, I, don't, I do not say U of SC, by the way. <laughs> Can't do it. USC, uh, they're in biology department and many other departments of independent study. You can get credit for that. So you can just mm -hmm. $3.99. You get credit for that. It usually applies towards your major. And that, that's a good way to get started. In fact, if you want to go to graduate school in, in research, you really need to have some background in research to apply. You, well, you can apply. But you're not not likely you'll get into a program unless you have some research experience, because when people are evaluating those applications, and I, and I do this, you look at people who've never stepped into a lab, and it's like you have to say to yourself, well, why does this person want to go into graduate school, which is research based, if they have no experience and they don't even know if they like it? So you in order order to get to grad school in that in this field, either master's or PhD, you need to have some form of research experience. Mm -hmm. And then you apply to programs where which you feel are successful. You have to look at the websites, look at what the people are doing, look at what some of their publications are, and and you apply. Make sure they seem nice. What? Make sure they seem nice. And yeah, like they well it's hard you. to tell. It's hard to tell. <laughs> Yeah, uh, you have to meet them and talk to them. And also, if you do it, interviews for graduate school, it's always good to talk to the students and people in the lab and see how they are. Yeah, are, they, are they happy there? Are they successful? It's a very, very important thing to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, and how, how long people stay there. You know, if you have people that are leaving after, after a year, it's not a good sign. Yeah. And hopefully that you meet someone cool. Like I met with Dr. Reisman. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of a uh, lot of lab directors. Some are good, some are not so good. But like you said, talking to professors, I think yeah. really helped. I mean, I'm public health. I didn't even really have any interest in doing biology research. I I took biology classes. Um, I thought they were you know 
pretty cool. But then I really liked Dr. Reisman. He asked me to come in his lab. I was like, ah, sure, let's yeah. do it. And now I love it. And it's fun. It's in a weird way, relaxing. Cause you're just pipetting things and growing cells. Yeah. And, it can be therapeutic. Yeah. There's yeah. a lot of satisfaction. Yeah. I yeah. feel like too, there's, you can see exactly what you're doing. It's not abstract. It's this is my cell play. I grew these cells mm-hmm. and they worked or they didn't work. Um, but okay. So we talked a little bit about grad school, but Dr. Reisman works. So you're the graduate student director. I'm the, I'm the grad, graduate director in biology. Yeah. Okay. So with that, how, what advice do you have for yeah. students who want to go to grad school in, in anything, even maybe yeah. even not biology? Um, right. So I'm the graduate director in, of the biology department. So that means I kind of oversee the program and, and make sure people are progressing at the right rates, that the interactions with their faculty are okay, that they graduate on time. I mean, it takes for a PhD, it can take, let's say it can take six years to get a PhD. And if we have people that are kind of going on their 10th year, there, there's some problem and I try and intervene there. So to go to graduate school, like what I, what I was saying before, I think it's, it's really important to meet the faculty. If you apply to graduate school, quite often they'll ask you if, if you if you are high on their list, they'll ask you to come in for an interview. And during that interview, you learn about what people are doing. You learn about who's in the lab. You learn about you know the kind of research, how they interact with students. So in, in order to start, I think the best thing you can really do is is probably just kind of search websites of places that you'd like to go. And if you want to be in the Northeast, you know, check out, you know, schools in the Northeast, you know, in Boston and, and New York. There's some very good schools in this area. Uh, USC is, is, is good, but there, there's also University of Georgia, there's Florida, there's UNC, Chapel Hill. Um, there's NC State, which is also very good, Wake Forest. And also, if you're doing research in a lab as an undergraduate, you may have more of an idea of kind of what you want to go into. And you may already have some experience with reading some papers. And so you have an idea of some of the people in the field. And so you can look and see, oh, where are these people? You know, so-and-so has published a paper in this marine biology, let's say, and I really exciting work so you look to see where is that person so then you can apply that way so it's either location or it's the prestige of the university or it's where people are doing things that you that interest you mm-hmm. and you send in your application most places are not uh, requiring the GRE anymore mm-hmm. so the GRE exam is still required for a lot of social sciences and things like chemistry and physics, I think they still do, but most of the biology programs and genetics programs have decided to eliminate the GRE score for a few reasons. One is that there doesn't seem to be any real good correlation between how one does on the GRE and how you do in graduate school. The other thing is, which is very important, is that there's 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 the way that the tests are designed, and it's not intentional, but there's a a clear bias against uh, that clear bias 
that damages the prospects for for minorities mm-hmm. and yeah. women. Just the way the questions are asked, the types of questions that are asked. So that's been shown they just don't do as well. That doesn't mean that they're not as capable. It just means that this exam is biased in some ways against them. And so we decided that we want to increase the diversity in our in our department. And so we dropped it last year. Go biology. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. See, I, did, I, had, I had no idea. Yeah. But I, yeah. you're right. I think that's yeah. really cool. Y'all do yeah. that. Yeah. Um, so what about, I think we're coming off on one of the last few questions. Um, so what's your favorite part of being a professor and doing research? Okay. So my favorite part is actually, it's it's not, well, lecture teaching is good. I enjoy that. But I think what I like the most is doing the research with the students. That is having students in the lab, mentoring, teaching, letting them have an experience in research, and then you know what and, and and what and traditionally what I do is I give people projects that are significant and so the in the end we we can publish this stuff a lot of times we have people doing research in the lab undergraduates and they're just counting stuff you know like counting seeds or counting worms or counting butterflies and you know they may not be doing anything that really has a huge impact just a very small part of the project so I, I enjoy having people in the lab and working together. I don't like being in the lab by myself. That happened partly during this COVID period where students were not allowed to come in and that it was totally not fun. So I think it's, it's really the mentorship. The one-on-one teaching is what I really like. Yeah, it's good at it. It's rewarding. Yeah, yeah. it is, it is yeah. for me too. It's, yeah. it's very nice to have, a, I guess, a mentor who is knowledgeable about things that I'm not as knowledgeable about. And I mean, I've learned a lot being in lab. Like if y'all are, even if you're not trying to go to med school, even if you're just public health or biology or chemistry or whatever, I definitely recommend getting into a lab. Cause it's, I mean, it's honestly fun. Like I, it's a place to go. It's like kind of, if I need to study, I can come here. If I have a key, if I need to come in at midnight, I can come in at midnight. If I need to go on the weekends and study or, you know, I mean, we have, shared freezer food (laughs) that we like to review i mean i mean the other the other thing which is important is it completely changes the college experience Mm -hmm. so you can be a biology major and you come into the building you take your class or now you're not even coming into the building you're you're doing it all remotely or some people are coming in a little bit but you do your your classes and you go home or you go you go to your classes you go to wrestle sit outside so you're in and out of the building when you when you work in a lab it completely changes your perception and so and so you you take ownership in a sense mm-hmm. you take it, it becomes yours mm-hmm. so versus coming in and out of the building and just sitting in the class and leaving now you have a place mm-hmm. you have a key you have a place you have ownership you know the people around people mm-hmm. see you walking and nobody asks you who you are like, what are you doing here? Mm-hmm. It's just so it changes. And then your interaction with faculty changes. Because it's not just the people in the lab, but it's people across the hall or people down the hall mm-hmm. and people upstairs. So it just you start interacting with a lot more people. And, and it's, it's a different college experience, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's a, it's a good one. I recommend everybody yeah. get research. Okay, yeah. Dr. Reese, when you have any finishing remarks? Uh, no, just everybody stay safe. It's a good one. Yeah. I mean, everybody thinks that it's over. The COVID thing is over, but it's not over. It's gone down some, but it, we're actually at a place where it's worse than it was, I think, in the summer, mm. where everybody was freaking out. But nobody's freaking out now, but it's, it's actually worse than it was. And only 10% of the population has the vaccine. So everybody has a sense like, okay, we're done. We're not. But we're not. So still, you know, still be aware of that. And enjoy the rest of the semester. Yeah. Thank you so much, Dr. Sure. Eastman, for My pleasure. On. Yeah. Um, I, we have some good resources. I know he might be looking for people to work in his lab. So reach out to him if you're David Reisman on uofsc.com if you're interested uh, for any of our listeners out there. But thank you guys so much. We're obviously still recording on Zoom, so the audio might not be great. But thank you for bearing with us. And make sure to follow us on Instagram at zip.of.success. See you next week.